Hi guys, and welcome back to Ghost Stories, where throughout the month of October I will be exploring some of the fun ghostly stories our world has to offer. Today I'm going to be exploring the story of the Bell Witch Haunting. Some of you may know about the Bell Witch Caves or the Bell Caves. Not really sure what they're called exactly because that's not what this is about. This is about the Bell Witch Haunting. So we're going to go back to 1817, when things in America were lit. Just kidding, it sounds like a horrible time period to be alive in. So in 1817, around that time period, there was a farmer named John Bell, and he moved his family from South Carolina to Robertson County in Tennessee in the 1800s. They lived along the Red River in what is today known as Adams County. So this is like back when things were still sediments and not quite incorporated and such. History. Fun. Things were going pretty well for him. He became an elder of his Baptist church. He gained over 300 acres of land and had three more children after moving. So for the 1800s, as a straight white cis man, he was ballin'. Everything was normal going well for the Bells until 1817 four years after his youngest child was born. He was in the cornfields, you know, doing his pharma thing, when he saw a large animal. The animal shocked him because it had the body of the dog and a head of a rabbit. I don't blame him, I'd be shook too. Of course, he freaked out and he shot at the creature, but it vanished. I'm guessing this was probably early in the morning because, you know, farmers, you know how they do. And everything was fine until the evening until they started to hear this beating sound on their log cabin. The sound continued every single night and each night it intensified. Even though he and his sons would run outside to try to catch the person doing this, they never saw anything. The weird occurrences continued and specifically targeted the children. They would wake up with rats gnawing at their beds and their blankets would be pulled off of them. Why rats are a weird occurrence on a farm? I don't know, I'm from Orange County. John also started experiencing mouth paralysis. In addition to the continuous beating sound, the family also started hearing whispers and the sounds of an old woman singing hymns. Now, let's just paint how creepy as fuck this is. You're in the South, so it's already terrifying. And you're in this log cabin alone. And you just start hearing this beating sound on your log cabin and then you start hearing the whispers and a voice of an old lady starting to sing religious hymns. Now that's terrifying. So their 11 year old daughter Betsy was the first child born in Tennessee and she began being targeted the most and violently. Her hair would be pulled and she'd be hit or slapped and there will be welts left on her body. John told the family to keep it a secret, which to me, like, kind of seems a little weird. Because if they're religious, demons and hauntings aren't totally out there. Or, I don't know, maybe it's just like a faux pas to be haunted, you know? Southerners, I feel like, are about saving face. But to me, keeping that a secret, basically child abuse a secret, kind of made me wonder if John was doing it to his daughter. But they eventually told their neighbor James Johnson because of the growing escalation. I don't know why, but Johnston and his wife, it's the 1800s, so she doesn't get a name, stayed at the Bells overnight, only to find themselves subjected to the same horrors. 
their bed covers being pulled off and the slappings. I'm guessing they like low key didn't believe them. They're like, okay, like, let's see, we'll stay and see if this is real. James asked in the name of Jesus, who is doing this? Now, some accounts say that after he asked this, the night turned peaceful, but others say the voice responded. It said it was a spirit who was once happy, but then was disturbed, according to Wikipedia. Another account was that it claimed to be the witch of Kate Batts, which I think is a wonderful name for a witch. Bats. B-A-T-T-S. Kate Batts was a neighbor of the Bell family, and apparently she and John had had a violent quarrel, not like the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, but a violent argument shortly after uh, John moved his family to Robertson County. She was also a woman who was well known for her eccentricities. Many pl- people believed her to be a witch. She had the habit, for instance, of begging pins from any woman she met. Clearly, this is copy and pasted. But, you know, witches and their pins. According to superstition of the day, loaning a pin to someone gave that person a witch like control over the lender. So, apparently, this violent quarrel was over land. Kate feel like John cheated her out of her land. And I don't know what a violent quarrel means. I don't know if there was fists laid on her or if they just got aggressive verbally. But the story that this 1933 guidebook for Tennessee, which is like a travel book, ran with was that on her deathbed, Kate Beth swore revenge on John because he cheated her out of that land. Another explanation for the disturbance with us that there was a nearby Native American burial mound that had been disturbed on the property. The entity's voice started to strengthen over time to the point that it was extremely loud and recognizable. It sang hymns, quoted scripture, it actually would carry on intelligent conversations, and even once quoted word for word two sermons that were preached at the same time on the same day 13 miles apart. Now, I don't know how they would have known that. There wasn't any, like, Instagram story that they could check and be like, oh shit, look at this. She quoted the same story that, like, at Hot Priest Daddy 101 shared. So I don't know if they wrote it down. I don't know if they called. I don't even know if there's phones back then. Maybe they used messenger pigeon. I don't know. That was something that bothered me clearly while researching this. Anyways, it was very familiar with scripture and enjoyed religious debates. It was chatty. It enjoyed having good conversation. The entity also liked to fuck with people in more fun ways than just slapping them around. Like, it sent Drury Bell, one of the sons, and his friend on this wild goose chase looking for buried treasure. And my favorite aspect and personality trait of this ghost is that it was totally into gossip. It would tell the Bells about what was happening in other people's houses. That's the kind of friend I want. Wikipedia said it would leave for brief moments to visit homes after an inquiry which means the Bells were totally asking for the juicy details of their neighbors, and I am living for it. Not to be punny. Their slave, Dean, was followed by the witch in the shape of a big black dog when he would go to visit his wife. So it's the ghost, or the witch, or the spirit, 
has basically integrated, integrated itself into the Bells' lives. I think at this point, most of the Bells actually really like having the ghost around, and they're pretty, pretty open about telling randos about it. They met this English traveler, and they were like, hey, bro, we got a like, ghost in our house. And the English traveler actually came over and tested the spirit and asked him about, you know, his family, things that the Bells wouldn't be able to know. And the spirit took on the mannerisms and the voice of his British family back home and freaked him out so much that he just ran out. And a similar thing happened with Johnston. Remember the neighbor and his no-name wife who stayed at their house? He also questioned them. He asked what his grandmother would say to the slaves when they, you know, messed up or she wasn't happy. And the entity took on his step-grandmother's, like, Dutch accent and said, hut, hut, what has happened now? I don't know what a Dutch accent sounds like, otherwise I would do it. Oh yeah, hut, hut, what has happened now? Probably that was culturally insensitive. So basically, people are coming in and like validating the stories that other people are hearing around this haunting, which is important for later. Sometimes the spirit was actually nice to them, and it definitely took a liking to Lucy, the mom of the family. The spirit went as far as to say that Lucy was the most perfect woman to walk the earth. To be honest, between the gossip and that kind of compliment, the ghost sounds like a gay man. The spirit would give Lucy fresh fruit, sing her hymns, and she also wasn't like a total dick to John Bell Jr. As far as John Bell Sr. went, well, she's pretty open about wanting to kill him, so the ghost may have been a lesbian. Word of this supernatural phenomenon spread past the settlement and outside all the way to Nashville, where then-Major General Andrew Jackson took a keen interest. So, hashtag celebrity cameo, Andrew J. coming in. Jackson decided to go and visit the ghost and took some men with him to check out what was going on. John Jr. Drury and Jess, one of the other sons, had all served under Jackson during the war. Yes. They were th for that side of that war. Hint, hint, they had a slave. As Jackson and his men were approaching the farm, the horses and carriage just suddenly stopped because the horses couldn't go any further. They couldn't pull the wagon. It's as if the wagon had just become so heavy the horses couldn't keep moving forward. After a few minutes of trying to get the horses going, Jackson exclaimed it must be the witch, and a disembodied female voice said they could go further and she would visit them again later. One of the men with Jackson claimed that he was a witch tamer, which I feel like could be taken a lot of different ways. He said he had a gun with a silver bullet that could kill any evil spirits, which we all know only works on werewolves. Was this amateur hour? What a fraud. Right after he boasted that nothing had happened because he, you know, scared the witch, and the witch was afraid of the silver bullets, he began screaming and jerking around. He said he felt as if needles were being pricked into him and that he was being beaten. He was kicked out of the door literally by, like, an invisible foot being like, Get the fuck out of here. The voice declared that there was another fraud in Jackson's party and he would be tormented the next night. At this point, all the guys with Jackson are like, dude, brah, we gotta get the fuck out of here. But Jackson wanted to see who this fraud was. 
Unfortunately, there's no account of what happened the next night, but they were already in Springville the following morning. As time passed, Betsy, the daughter that the witch like really hated, ended up falling for neighbor boy Joshua Gardner, and her parents gave them their blessing for marriage. Everyone supported the union except for the witch and this dude named Robert Powell. Robert Powell was a former school teacher and 11 years Betsy senior and expressed a lot of interest in Betsy, which like gross, like 11 years in age difference. Cause you gotta remember, she's probably only like 14 at this point. Accounts say he politely expressed his disappointment in her engagement to Joshua, but wished them a long and prosperous marriage. However, it was also said that he was a member of the occult and was secretly married to an Ether Scott, who lived in Nashville. So we're sort of a shady character, not that there's anything wrong with the occult, but I mean, brah, you're interested in a kid, okay? Betsy and Joshua moved forward with their engagement, but they ended up not being able to go to the river or even be on the property without being relentlessly harassed by the spirits. On Easter Monday of 1821, Betsy ended up breaking off their engagement because she no longer could handle all the harassment. Perhaps, thanks to Robert's involvement in the occult, he was able to strike a deal with the witch to end Betsy and Joshua's engagement. I'm not sure who Betsy ended up with, if she ended up with Robert or not, but it's a mysterious connection, I would say. Stepping back about six months from Easter Monday of 1821, before the engagement was broken off, the witch was still throwing shade all over John Sr., vowing to kill him. The year leading up to this... John's health was already declining steadily due to a mysterious illness, and the witch continued to torment him. By fall of 1820, he was mostly confined to the house, and the witch would take off his shoes when he would try to walk and slap him in the face when he would have seizures. Which, that's rude. I'm sorry. I don't care how much you don't like somebody. You don't slap them when they're having a seizure. Apparently, you could even hear the witch laughing and taunting him. So, on the one hand, the witch is like fun, spunky, into gossip, likes to have religious debates. On the other hand, she's tormenting a dying man. It's like, did they decide not to call the Ghostbusters because the tea was just so good? Like, come on, people. Why are you keeping her around? Like, there's no indication that they tried to get an exorcism or cleanse the house or anything through their Baptist church. On December 20th, 1820, John was found dead with an unidentified liquid found in the cabinet. John Jr. gave some to the cat to test it, which honestly is a dick move. Like, fuck that. And the cat died instantly. As a cat person, I apologize for the graphic nature of that sentence. Another account says the vial of poison was actually found on the 19th before he died, and they called for Dr. Hobson, the family doctor in hopes of trying to save him, but John Bell Sr. then died the next day on December 20th. Either way, John was poisoned, and the witch and the witch claimed that she was the one who had poisoned him. John Bell's funeral was one of the biggest in Robertson County. It is said that the witch could be heard singing in the cemetery until every last visitor left. After his death, things were rather peaceful. I mean, that's the account, but, you know, then Betsy dealt with all that drama leading up to her engagement being broken off. In April of 1821, the witch told Lucy, the wife, that she was going to leave, but would return to visit in seven years, which apparently she did. 
Most of the visits centered around John Bell Jr., who, you know, she liked, with whom the entities discussed such things as the origin of life, civilizations, Christianity, and the need for a mass spiritual reawakening. In addition to just this lively philosophical conversation, the witch actually had clairvoyancy. It made a lot of accurate predictions such as the Civil War and other significant events. After her three-week visit, she said she'd visit the closest descendant in 107 years, which was Dr. Charles Bailey Bell, a Nashville neurologist. Dr. Bell actually wrote a book about the Bell Witch. I guess called the Bell Witch because I have Bell Witch in quotes. It was published in 1934 based off the stories he had heard from Betsy. There was no follow-up published, and Dr. Bell died in 1945, so it's unclear if she decided to keep visiting the family or if neurologists need to keep his reputation safe. Different periodicals posted about the haunting. New England farmer Boston and the Green Mountain Freeman, Vermont, uh, posted about the stories in January and February of 1856, who attributed the story to the Sunday Evening Post. Now, the article was shady as hell, because it said that the whole thing was a fraud set up by Betsy, and that she claimed that the ghost would keep haunting until Betsy and Joshua got married, and goes on to claim that Betsy actually learned ventriloquism and was just trying to get Joshua to marry her, which, honestly, that seems like a huge attack, um, since they broke off their engagement. I mean, maybe it was that. Maybe Joshua was like, this chick's crazy and I changed my mind and he really broke it off it's hard to know exactly what happened you know like what 200 years ago is that math yeah that rendition seems a little much for me because that's some intense ventriloquism skills she could have taken that on the road you know what I mean in 1894 a newspaper editor by the name of M.B. Ingram published an authenticated history of the bell witch in which he claims that the sunday morning post was sued for libel and sold out of court which i wouldn't be surprised because what they posted was pretty shitty an authenticated history of the bell witch is a full-length book in which it's seen more as a historical fiction or a fraud i love throwing that word around but there's actually a lot of people who look at it as an interesting study of folklore and the culture at the time because the culture in that area was actually deeply impacted by the Bell Witch, whether you believe it was real or not. In September of 1868, there was an article published that was called Witchcraft and Murder, Hobgoblins and Old Grade Horses, The Incentive to Crime. I would watch that TV show. I don't know what it would be about, but I'm, I'm here for it. There is two men named Tom Clenard and Dick Burgess. And they were arrested for the murder of Mr. Smith. Now, this might be James Smith or Charles Smith. We don't actually know Mr. Smith's last name. But, so basically, Tom and Dick, which are the two best names to have together, were like, this dude, Mr. Smith, is coming up to us and saying he's part of the occult and using his witch power on us. So we got into a fight and then ended up killing him. In the trial of the state versus Clenard and Burgess, the jury ended up delivering a verdict of not guilty. Lucinda E. Rawls, the daughter of two of Betsy's friends. Lucinda E. Rawls, who was the daughter of two of Betsy's friends, in an interview with the reporter Ingram, said that the witch was a perfect scapegoat for the people of the town. 
That's why people like uh, Tom and Dick got away, literally got away with murder. Ingram noted that there is actually no evidence that could support Smith's claims to have a connection with the Bell Witch. But because it was so deeply rooted into the town and the psyche of this area, people saying, look, this guy had witchcraft. He was in the occult and using it on us. People believed it. Over the years, other strange occurrences have been connected or blamed on the Bell Witch. People continue to write articles and sketches about the witch, drawing people to the area. In the 20th century, more of the strange accounts and noises and sightings seem to be centered around those caves I mentioned earlier that are on the property that ended up being dubbed the Bell Witch Cave. Now we know the name of it. As recently as 1986, David Gerard was a staff writer for the Tennessean with photographer Bill Wilson, who Bill was also a member of the National Speleological Society, were given permission to sleep in the cave overnight. So they go to the caves, and in the first cave room, they hear noises from deeper within the cave. Gerard uh, estimated it was about 30 yards. I'm not really sure there's not more details that I could find about what happened, but they ended up running out of the cave frightened by the noises of what they were hearing. Which who wouldn't be? You're in a cave at night and there's a bunch of sounds. Like, get the fuck out of there. There was even a rocking chair that was supposedly owned by the Bell Descendants that was said to be haunted and was sold. An A&E series called Cursed had an episode dedicated to the Bell Witch where they interviewed descendants of the family Bob Bell. What a name, Bob Bell, who is actually a funeral homeowner, of all things. Roy Porter, a present-day neighbor of the Bell Farm, and another person named Sue Clifton, Mississippi clairvoyant named Sarah Lee. He says she had communicated with the youngest daughter of the Bell family, Betsy, the one who was haunted the most. So, because they were pretty sure everybody at the time that this witch was Kate Batts, they also interviewed Batts' descendants, who mostly joke about their connection to the witch and use it just as a conversation piece, which I think is really funny. If I was like, yeah, apparently like my great-great-grandmother was a witch who haunted the shit out of this family, I would tell everybody. The grave of Kate Batts actually couldn't be found by the crew, um, the film crew, which I guess is, like, kind of mysterious, but also, like, I don't know, it's been a while, you know what I mean? What's interesting is, within the paranormal researching community, people believe that the events were too vague and most likely made up by Betsy. But it's an important case to look at, at how societally and culturally things can be taken out of hand when sources aren't fact-checked. It's funny because under Wikipedia it's titled skepticism and they're like, look, all we know is that there was a witch in the area. <laughs> Which I think is funny. I also think it's interesting that they're like, oh, it's too vague. And I'm like, I just went over so many very, very, very specific instances and stories that came out of the whole Bell Witch situation. So I'm not sure if it's just historically a time issue where 200 years ago, this is 1817, so 200 years ago, a bunch of stuff happened, but the only thing we have in writing is blaming a woman. So we're just going to go with blaming a woman rather than looking at all the other accounts and stories and eyewitness testimonies that happened. Take that as you will. 
So while I guess there's not many sources available to support this claim, that there's even a witch in the area, which, <laughs> just made myself laugh there, there's not a witch in the area, which, I feel like that's just part of history and it's part of us growing up as a society. The more science-based we become, the less we hold stock in superstitions, fairy tales, and even religion. But all in all, it's agreed that the Bell Witch has had a huge impact not just on the area but also in film, being the inspiration for such films as The Blair Witch Project, different plays, and songs. So for something that maybe wasn't real, it sure had a one hell of an impact on society. The Bell Witch Caves are still frequently visited by people looking for some paranormal spooks in their daily lives. And that is the Bell Witch Haunting. Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget to check out Ghost Stories at Ghost Stories Pod on Instagram. I'm going to be posting photos that, if I am able to, connected with each one of these episodes. Please remember to like, share, rate, and subscribe if you like the podcast. If you want to rate and you don't like the podcast, just look inside yourself and ask yourself why you want to put that kind of negativity out in the world. Thank you guys so much for listening and keep an eye out for more episodes. Happy Halloween.